one of them. What is up, everybody? We are back with Shine in Delight. What's up? It's Andrew Templeton and my boy. Oh, I got to introduce myself? Yeah, every I'm, time. I'm, I'm Ro. We're, uh, we're still getting to renew with this podcasting thing, so we got to figure it out at one point. Pretty much, yeah. We're just kind of stumbling around, figuring out as we go. That's what you, you walk and figure it out as you go. That's how a lot of things. I like to sink or swim. I was a kid, like, literally three years of age. I jumped in a pool when my brother was going to take lessons. My mom's like, he needs lessons too because he doesn't know how to swim. And so I got to take lessons at the same time. That's the story. That sounds really dangerous. Yeah, it does. Sound, but there was, like, the swim instructor around, and there's a lot of adults, so I was fine. But I just, I'm just that kid was like, jump in. Let's do it. That's fair. Yeah. I respect it. So let's jump in on the question of the day there, Ro. What do you got for us? If you could pick a big of the book of the Bible to have a movie made out of it, what would you choose? Ooh, that's a really good question. Book of the Bible to have a movie made out of it. Man, I just feel like the life of David, um, like first Samuel, mid first Samuel to all the way to second Samuel, getting his full life would be really cool. I think it could almost be like a Lord of the Rings, like three part trilogy. Um, like, you know, him as like the little shepherd boy becoming anointed, him in the wilderness, and then him as king. You'd have a three-part series in that. That's what I'd want to see happen. I wonder how interesting the first part of that would be when he was just a shepherd. Well, you'd have David and Goliath right there. Okay. Um, you'd have him in Saul's court, right? And kind of that you'd have some drama action in there. You'd have him and Jonathan's deep friendship and then Saul betraying. And then you'd have them in the wilderness after that in the second part. Okay, that makes sense. I think That's you can make one. it pretty good. And then the third part's obviously, I mean, he sleeps with Bathsheba. He does some bad things. There's a son who betrays him. Like, this is almost like Game of Thrones status here. A lot of backstabbing, sleeping around. I've never seen Game of Thrones, but yeah, that's what I've heard. heard. Yeah, I would go with Esther for a similar reason, because I think there's a lot of Game of Thrones stuff in Esther. It's <laughs> a lot. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he just went to, who's, it wasn't Martin who wrote it. Who's the guy who wrote Game of Thrones? Yeah, George R. R. Oh, he's Martin. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, he probably just read the book, the Bible and was like, let's take some stuff from this, make a movie, make a books about it, and then we'll make some series about this. HBO's like, yes, we love this. This is brand new. Well, the crazy thing about Esther is the main or the the supporting character in Esther, which would be Xerxes, is uh, also the supporting character in the movie Three Hundred. So just, <laughs> it shows how history and the Bible kind of overlap coincide, and yeah. people love Three Hundred. Yeah. So epic fighting. Yeah. When that came out, I watched every like everything about it on the History Channel. I've never actually seen the movie though. There's actually a good, there's actually, you could use that in a sermon because the way that the Spartans won that, so it's 300 versus half a million Persians. The way the Spartans won that is because they were inside this rock formation where the Persians would have to come in one at a time. And so that's how they kept killing Persians. That's why, how they won, even though they were so outnumbered, or they didn't win, but at least they stood well, their ground. They stood their ground for a long time until they got backstabbed and someone showed, you know, the way around. Yeah. I, have you seen the movie Dune? No. The last comment here. In that movie Dune, it, it almost happens the same thing. We're like defending the palace um, from the bad guys, and they're doing a really good job of fighting or whatnot, and these troops drop in from like helicopters right behind them and get them from behind. Reminds me of that. Anyways. You, ha you hate to see that. I hate to see that too because they're doing so well. Anyways, guys, we are actually starting a, a new little series here on the Beatitudes. That is going to be uh, Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and the, the Beatitudes is when it says, Jesus says, blessed are... Um, and so today we're going to be diving into looking at the first two, um, which is in verse um, 3 and 4, uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 4. I'm going to go ahead and read that for you all. And it's, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right, let's dive into this and talk about blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, first question I have, Ro, what does it mean to be blessed? Like, what does this actually mean? What is he saying in this? I think the the overarching theme of the Beatitudes is not uh, a code of conduct. Okay. I think it, it reveals the character of God. 
the character of people that will end up in heaven, rather. So blessed are the poor in spirit is the first one. I think someone is blessed when they get to spend eternity in heaven, and they're blessed because they're poor in spirit, meaning they recognize their own depravity. They recognize Mm -hmm. that they're not good enough to get there, that they are poor in spirit, meaning I am a broken mess. I need a savior in order to get there. I think that's what that means. I think blessed are the poor in spirit is talking about salvation more than it's talking about any other type of blessing. So you would say the blessed are in all these sections are really people who have recognized their need for Christ, their need for God, and ultimately be in heaven, and that's their blessing. Yes, I think about it in the same way as I think of Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, correct? Is that where that is? Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 19 through 23, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> it's uh, love, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. Um, and I think of it kind of in the same right way of once you have the Spirit, this is what is naturally going to start to grow in your life. I think the Beatitudes in Galatians 5, they're kind of operating in the same space. Ooh, that's good. Good comparison there. Yeah. Isn't there nine fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, I'll, love, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. What else are there? I'm missing something. I, I, I always have to go in order. But yeah, yeah, put up love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And I think there's one more that I missed. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought there were seven for some reason. I think it's just biblical. Like, oh, it's got to be seven. And yeah, like, yeah, I mean, seven, seven and three are usually a good guess. <laughs> you know, there are eight Beatitudes, which kind of throws off the pattern. But That is true. That is true. Um, so, bless you. Yeah, I would say I would agree with that. That I think it's someone who is, is happy and joyous on this earth because they know that they're going to have eternity with God in heaven, right? And they recognize that we're actually living for eternity rather than for the things on this earth. Um, and so then we look at poor in spirit. And I think you talked about that already. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I'm also going to cross-reference this with another, another verse, which is Mark 10. 13 through 16, it's when Jesus, people were bringing kids to Jesus, mm-hmm. and the disciples were trying yeah, to yeah. minimize that. And Jesus said, um, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder, hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Uh, and there's something to, say, to be said there about innocence, because kids are really innocent. Yeah. But uh, kids are still human. I think what he's saying there, the reason why the kingdom of heaven belongs to kids is because kids are completely dependent on their parents. They bring absolutely nothing to the table. Um and I think you have to have that same posture with God in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, is you have to admit that you bring nothing to the table. I contribute nothing to this equation. I only get to heaven because of God's grace. That's it. There's nothing that I can contribute to that. And I think when you look at kids, you know, interestingly, when a kid wants, to, when a baby wants to be picked up, he puts both of his hands in the air. And that's the same. <laughs> that's the I can same. demonstrate my, I, I just see my niece in, in, right there, arms out, pick me up. Yeah, and she doesn't walk yet. That's the same posture we do during worship. A lot of people uh, put both arms in the air. And I think that that's not a, it's also the same posture we do when we're surrendering. When mm-hmm. you surrender to police or you're in the military and you surrender, that's the, the international symbol of surrender is both hands in the hands air. Hands in the air, yeah. And I think that there's, there's a reason for that. Um, you know, kids have that posture of surrender with their parents. We have that posture of surrender with God. If, if you are being led by the Holy Spirit. Man, that's so good. I actually wrote that down in my notes about the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, and I couldn't read it. And uh, <laughs> now that you said it, I'm like, oh, that's what that says. Your handwriting is pretty rough. My handwriting is horrible in that. Um, but I 100% agree that it is those who consciously depend upon God for everything, like a child. That's yeah. the best attitude we can have about porn spirit, that we can do nothing by ourselves, and we're completely dependent for for money, for sustenance, for our life, for every single day upon him, just like my little niece who's one and a half has to be picked up. It's, it's amazing. And it's also that first beatitude kind of sets the tone for the next seven, because if you read the beatitudes, 
it's almost uncomfortable because really anything in Matthew chapter five or anything in the Sermon on the Mount is uncomfortable because <laughs> the whole the whole point is Jesus saying you have to be perfect if you want to get there on your own. Yeah, here's the standard; it's perfection. Go for it, and that's that's uncomfortable to read because no one can be perfect. And so, if you read the Beatitudes in that light, it makes a little bit more sense. But if you if you kind of if you take out the first one and you ignore blessed are the poor in spirit, and you read the Beatitudes, it sounds really legalistic because it's saying. For example, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, I'm not always merciful. I've made a lot of mistakes where I'm yeah. not always merciful. You know, and it's it's like if if you and go ahead. I don't always depend upon God. Yeah. I'm not always poor in spirit. 100 exactly. percent But it's like when when you start off the Beatitudes with blessed are the poor in spirit mm. and you set the tone of, you know, you, you're blessed because you know that you're depraved and you need Jesus. And that you you become, you know, you take on the character of God once you ex- once you decide to be led by the Holy Spirit. That sets the tone for the rest of these Beatitudes, which are telling us, you know, here's what the character of God looks like. It's not a set of rules. You know, it's not saying you need to be merciful all the time in order to get into heaven. Yeah. It's saying once you accept Christ, mm. you will become more merciful, that's as an so, example. That's so good. Uh, and so the, the last part of that statement, we talked about blessed. We talked about poor in spirit. It says, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, there's one little thing I want to note there is that belongs is in the present tense. Right, so he's not saying future tense here. He says belongs in the present tense. That's interesting. Um, I know, right? So what is that? I know. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. What does that mean for our audience? They're thinking about, what does it mean? What's this kingdom of heaven he's talking about? I, hey, you introduced the idea. I'm going to defer to you. Hey, hey, hey. Just because you don't have the answer right now doesn't mean you can't throw it out at me. So you just want me to stumble through? I, until want, you to, I want you to stumble through, be audience with the, be, what is it? Um, honest with the audience. That's the words I'm looking for in that. So in the Old Testament, God builds a, God, God uh, uses King Solomon to build a temple yep. where God's presence will physically reside. And then before that, God's presence was in a tent in, yeah. the, in the tabernacle. Then Solomon builds a temple, and then the temple gets knocked down. And then eventually Jesus comes, and then we realize that we don't need to reconstruct the temple because now we are the temple because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And I think when you talk about belo- the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like this, and you talk about the word belongs in present tense, I think it kind of goes along with that idea that you are, you are the temple now once you've accepted Christ and you put your faith in Jesus and being led by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit physically dwells in you, then you are, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you and you are an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven right now. Yeah, it's the idea of ownership yeah. in there. Um, and I love that change because I was thinking about it. You said that. I, said, I was thinking, already thinking Ezekiel um, where he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. It's no longer us just doing it it's god's spirit inside of us and that spirit shows that we have an inheritance in his kingdom that we are now a part of his kingdom we belong to him in there um and so i'd say when you recognize your poor in spirit we can't do without god right we recognize our dependence upon christ we receive the holy spirit and you're marked now you have this inheritance you're like oh i have this inheritance in the kingdom of heaven i'm an owner of the kingdom of heaven this is really cool yeah, and it kind of goes back to this idea too. Um, hopefully, this makes sense. But when, <laughs> always when, a hope. We'll, we'll see. You can always you always do a good job of cleaning up my thoughts when I ramble. But you, in the in the Garden of Eden, we always think of the one tree that they ate from, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, there were actually two trees in the middle of the garden. There was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of it, it kind of represents you know legalism versus faith. There's the tree of life where you're just dependent on God and you allow Him to lead you. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where you're going to do it yourself. And I know it's right and wrong, and I'm going to do it myself. And obviously one leads to life, one obviously led to death because we're no longer in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And it, it goes back to that. Um, it, it kind of traces back to what Jesus is saying, is blessed are the poor in spirit, where when you recognize your own sin and you depend on God to grow you, 
um, that leads to life. And it's also much easier than trying to do it on your own. Because can you imagine trying to live up to that perfect standard on your own? It sounds exhausting. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, I mean, it sounds exhausting and it, it leads to death because you're, you're going to ultimately fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe those two things tie in. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking right now. I like that. I like but, that analogy. Yeah. I think it's good. I think they tie together very much so. Yeah. So my, like, what does this look like to be a poor in spirit today, specifically? We've got the overarching grand thing, like it's dependency upon Christ, dependency on God. But in today's society, we'll say, especially for young adults, I mean, like we're here in Dallas and it's a lot of, let's get the job, let's get the friend group, let's get the community, and like we're good. Yeah. But what does it look like to be poor in spirit today? Uh, I think it goes back to even if, uh, like you can always say, it, it's very easy to have faith when you think that faith leads to to material blessing. Mm. Um, you know, if you think that your faith is going to lead to all of your life goals being accomplished, it's very easy to have faith. But it becomes more difficult when you say, um, you know, God may make me rich or I may die broke, alone, and miserable. But if I do die broke, alone, and miserable... You won't be alone. You have God. But, okay, good. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> but if I die, broke, single, and miserable. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Okay. There we go. Yeah, so if I die broke, single, and even if I die broke, single, single, and miserable, it's okay because I will have Jesus. I think that's what being poor in spirit means on a practical level is just that even if mentality. Even if things don't w- work out, even if this interview bombs, even if I never get married, even if my loved one passes away, God is still good. Yeah, I think about Daniel 3 immediately. You said, even if, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. right? Our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. Our God's able to do this. He's able to give you riches and a spouse and the desires of your heart. But even if he doesn't, right, I'm going to trust him. Even if he doesn't, I'm still going to follow him inside of that, right? Um, you're right. We do a lot of time to think in the, uh, the, the culture that we are in, it's very easy to get caught up in um, what we get back, right? Yeah. But I think that's the opposite of being poor in spirit. And there is, it's not saying, God, what can I get back? It's what can I give? I think of the woman um, who gives two copper pennies, right? She had, she had, she had this poor in spirit uh, mentality and she gave all that she had to the temple, to God, because she said, I, I have nothing without you, God. You're right, I only have two pennies. Why I, I'm just going to give my last pennies to you. And that's really like today is looking at God, how can we give our entire lives day in and day out towards you? Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently. But guess what? It doesn't mean that you have to move to um, North Korea or it doesn't mean we have to, or Africa or you have to be a missionary somewhere or that you have to go to the worst part of the city or, you know, get, rid of, get out of the ministry. And it's being praying about it and saying, God, where do you want me to be? Right. And then if he says, hey, I need you to be in this workplace, I need you to be a lawyer, impact people there, it's being faithful that I, that calling. If he says be a missionary, better go be a missionary. Right. <laughs> but, it, you know, in a different country, he said be a missionary in your workplace. If you're working at Taco Bell right now, be a missionary at Taco Bell. Right, I'd say that everyone's calling is equal. Right, is equal. Right, it may have different results. Mm-hmm. One may have greater results than the other. We'll say that our, our pastor on stage has a greater impact than we do on this podcast, or that you do, or I do. You know, showing homes as a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. But yet, when God says, "Hey, be faithful in this," and we're faithful in that, that's what God calls all of us. It's I, you told a story on here one time where it's it's not in the Bible, and it's you know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not in the Bible. But it, imagine you go to heaven and you meet Paul. And you and Paul are having a conversation, and Paul asks, "What did you?" You ask Paul, "What did you do for the Lord?" And he basically says, "I was whipped, I was beaten, I was thrown in jail, I got my head cut off, I gave up, you know, mm. my entire career, I did all these things, I wrote two thirds of the New Testament." And then Paul looks at you and says, "What did you do for the Lord?" And you said, "I was faithful, and I did what He asked me to." And those two things, in God's eyes, equal, because you were both—they were you and Paul were both faithful with what God asked you to do. 
it's true God probably asked Paul to do a lot more than he will ask us to do on a daily basis. 100%. But yeah. we can both be faithful with what Paul, well, with what God has asked us to do. Mm. And, and, you know, you kind of said, like, I will never have the reach of Billy Graham. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But there are people in my life that Billy Graham will never be able to reach. You know, there are people like my friends will yeah. probably have, who have never heard of Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham is dead. He can't invite my friends to church. He can't share the gospel with my friends now unless they stumble on his YouTube videos. But it's like, you know, even though I may never share the gospel with more people than anyone else in the history of the world like Billy Graham did, I have people in my life that Billy Graham will never be able to touch. Amen. Like, I am here specifically for. Yeah, God's created you specifically for a reason and living in that dependently upon him saying, I can't do this myself as being poor in spirit. Um, do you have any practical steps that you do day in and day out to maintain this attitude? Yeah, um, I'll tell a story. Three years ago when I was graduating from college, I was getting to that point. I was freaking out because I had to pick a, a place to go after college. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was freaking Life out. Life was easy and then college ended. <laughs> so my friend, well, his name's Kyle Wellman. We all called him Welly. I, I was discipling him. And uh, we were kind of in like a small group setting where I was just being honest. With, I was being vulnerable with these guys. I was like, hey, guys, you know, there were a bunch of, was, I was a senior and they were a bunch of freshmen. I was like, hey, guys, I'm just going to be real with you. I'm freaking out because I'm going to graduate college in uh, like five days and I don't know what I'm doing next. And Welly said something really profound, which has impacted me to this day. And he said, if you go somewhere and you share the gospel with the people that you are with and you minister to the people that you're with that are in your space, yeah. you're not going to make a wrong decision. Mm. Like you, cannot, you, you physically cannot make a wrong decision if that's what you're going to do. Whether you go to Fayetteville or Baton Rouge or Dallas, if you're sharing the gospel with people there, you're winning and you're doing what you're supposed to do. So you cannot make a wrong decision. And that just gave me so much confidence. So I think for my space, because I'm an overthinker, when I'm, you know, trying to determine where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do, if the end goal is to build the kingdom, it really takes the pressure off of those decisions. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of practically on a day-to-day what that means, being poor in spirit. Mm. Yeah, I think simply for myself, because I agree, I love what you said there, it's just telling yourself, right, it's not about me. Yeah. That's it. It's, uh, It's this humble attitude that says, God first, other second, me last, me dead last, me at the very bottom, right? Let's get that beat at home. It's not about me um, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, as James talks about in 4, 6, I think it is, 4, 6, and 7, right? And so if you have that attitude, if you can, it's like, we remember WWJD, just remember, was it I-N-A-M? It's not about me. Oh. I-N-A-M. I didn't know where you were going with that. N-A-M. It's not about me, right? If you can write that down, think about that. You're like, you do a really good job being poor in spirit as you approach everyone else and as you love people around you. When Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, I believe that was the first sentence in the book. It really, I've never read the book. It's, I think the first sentence in the like book a, is, it's not about you. It's a cult thing in the 80s. No, it was written no, in the no, was it 90s. No, it was written like 15 years ago. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm off. Probably dressy off in that. I know my parents have read it. Um, I just haven't got to it. But I think it is to, the purpose driven life is to say it's not about me and to make Christ known. Yeah. Or, I mean, or, you know, if you, if you're, if you don't believe us, you can always follow Solomon's track. <laughs> become really successful, live for yourself, and then see how that turns out. That is true. You can be an almost trillionaire in today's wealth and see what happens to you. Yeah. <laughs> Go crazy. That's where know. he was at. Yeah. If you don't uh, believe us, you know, read investigate the Bible. for yourself. <laughs> uh, verse, the, the next section, let's move on to those who mourn. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right. What do you think he's talking? I mean, there's a couple of ways we can take this, but what is your take on mourning? Revelation 21.4 it says, for he will wipe every tear from their eyes. He's talking about God at the end of time. When you get to heaven, he's going to wipe every tear from your eye. It's a very intimate scene. 
where, you know, a loving God is comforting his child. And it kind of shows you God's compassion and his love for you that, you know, you're his, you're his, his child. Um, he's not just a, a sky fairy sitting on a throne judging you. He loves you uh, mm-hmm. unconditionally. And he wants to, he's going to wipe every tear from your eye. And um, it's, it's this crazy picture of compassion in the midst of revelation where it's talking about God's coming back and he's coming back and he's going he's gonna to tear some stuff up. Um, he's going to destroy evil once and for all. It's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. And it's, he's a warrior. He's not, you know, the painting of Jesus holding the baby lamb. That's not who's coming back in Revelation. It's, it's the line of the tribe of Judah coming back. He's coming back with a robe dipped in blood, and he's coming back ticked off, and he's going to get rid of sin. Yeah. Um, and so in the midst of that warrior image, it shows in 21.4 that he's going to wipe every tear, that he's, he's also mm. gentle at the same time. Um, and so it says, blessed are those who mourn, I think, of someone in that moment where God is wiping away their tear, where, you know, not only are you, you know, you're mourning, which is not fun. There's no two ways about it. It's, it's the worst part of life is mourning. But at the same time, in the midst of that mourning, you have God who's there with you. Mm. And when you're being led by the Holy Spirit, that mourning is an opportunity to grow closer to God. So blessed are those who mourn are the people who God has basically brought to their knees and who have grown closer to God as a result of that grief. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I've, there's like three ways you can go with this, and I think they're all applicable here. Yeah. Um, those who mourn in the sense of the effects of sin on the world, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we say mourn for my friends passed away. This happened. X, Y, and Z happened in my life. And you're like, God, this is just horrendous inside of there. There may be this, or secondly, the person who mourns over just sin. Like, God, I am such a sinner. This depravity inside of me, I absolutely hate it. I'm mourning over it. And I said the third one was that effects of sin, like the effects of sin in my own life, effects of sin in others' lives as we see Man, one I was mourning over this week actually um, really got me down is um, the abortion and, and babies dying because mm-hmm. I believe that a person is established. I mean, a person, as soon as a conception happens, a person is there. And I'm reading this book, Imagine Heaven, um, and it's all these people who had NDEs, near-death experiences, and mm-hmm. they see heaven or they see part of heaven and they see see Jesus or a very white light kind of a deal or someone who's just robed in light, it says. It's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Imagine Heaven. Haven't finished it yet, but they gave us an example of a little girl, and she's like six or seven, and she, she, she dies away in the operating table for like four or five minutes, and then she comes back, and she's, t- she's talking to her parents a little bit later, and she talks, hey, I have two sisters. They're like, no, you have one sister, and she's like, no, no, when I, when I was on the operating table, I met my other sister, and they're like, what? She's like, yeah, her, she doesn't have a name. She's in heaven. She's X, Y, and Z, and her parents are like, how would you know that? Like, we had a miscarriage. And during the miscarriage, they never knew the gender of the baby. Miscarriage happened in like four or five months, never knew the gender of the baby. Um, and she's saying, yeah, I have a sister in heaven. And all of a sudden I'm seeing this like, has God, like the, it just hit me that every single person who is aborted is a person, right? And because they're at the age where they obviously don't get it, they're not born yet, they're mm-hmm. not alive in that sense, but their spirit is alive. God, the age of accountability, we'll call it, right? Which we'll talk about that later, but they're in heaven with God. And this little girl is like, I've met her. Right, and so it's like there's like a thousand stories it tells about this, which is a really cool book. I think you should dive into it. I'm not an expert on it, what near death experiences. It doesn't go against my theology. Maybe not something that I've studied or thought about a lot. Mm-hmm. But I was like, if this little girl meets her sister who wasn't alive yet, is still in the womb in heaven, right? There's life inside of the womb, and so I was just grieving over all the thousands of babies who are aborted every single day, right? And I was just mourning over that this week. And in that in that spirit, I mean, the oral arguments for. Uh Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization was uh, two days ago, which is the case that could potentially overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Um, so definitely praying for the nine Supreme Court justices that God would would touch their heart. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's a, that's a quick side note. Um, I mean, I, I, everyone is, everyone who grew up in a normal family has a, a story of a vacation that went horribly wrong. <laughs> um, yep. And in those, in those trips where everything went horribly wrong, you, there's a little bit of comfort because you know, you're not home that you're going to be home soon. Mm, you know? Yeah. And I think that pain and mourning and suffering in this world is acts as a reminder that this is not our home and that we're going to be home soon. And I think you could also take that blessed are those who mourn verse in the same way, because you know, you're longing for some place, you know, we know we're not where we're supposed to be. This is not the world that God created. This isn't where we're supposed to be. And when we mourn, we're longing for a place that's better. I think that's what that means in, 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 to some degree. Yeah. No, mourning over this world and longing for what's better. And that's where our comfort lies, yeah. right? He says, for they should be comforted. Comforted one, we have the Holy Spirit who is our comforter, our advocate as Christians. Like, we accept Christ. We get that. That comforts us, right? And then also knowing that, man, this world's not my home. I know where I'm going. Eternity with, in heaven with God and this utter joy where every tear is wiped away, where I don't even think about sins, where all these things are wiped and cleared, and I can experience that. And I think that's a really good comfort, but also that comfort of here on this earth with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I had a, going back to another story, I had a coach in college that, you know, he would go on these long recruiting trips and they were never easy. You know, when you're a coach at a division three college, you don't have a big budget for recruiting. So, you know, you're not staying in, necessarily staying in five star hotels and they're really rough, um, you know, trips sometimes. Motel six. Yeah. yeah. You're, they're really tough on you. Um, but same thing. He knew that that's not his home. His home was Conway, Arkansas. Yeah. He's just there recruiting. And I think that's kind of a, we're not recruiting people for heaven, but that's kind of similar to what we're doing here is this isn't our home. We're just here telling people about Jesus. Mm, yeah. So what does it look like for our listeners to have an attitude of mourning, right? And not just, I mean, we're all going to experience grief and grief and whatnot, but what does it have to have a spiritual sense of mourning? Kind of going back to what we just said, um, recognize this isn't our home, mourn for sin, mourn for the world. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, that's okay. And then recognize that there is a place that we're ultimately going to end up that is better than where we're at now. Mm, I like that. That doesn't sound, it it doesn't sound as practical as it is. You know, if you're stuck in traffic, for example, I hate traffic. I'm really bad at it. I have road rage that I'm working through, (laughs) but it's, you know, it, it sounds cheesy, but I'm in traffic. What am I angry at? I'm angry that I'm, it's taking long that I'm going to where I need to be. I'm impatient. And then you think about where that's coming from. It's coming from the fact that I have a limited amount of time. If I had unlimited amount of time, I wouldn't care about traffic. Mm. But I have a limited amount of time because I'm, I'm a decaying person. I'm a dying person. I'm on my way to the grave the entire time I'm on this earth. And so when I'm stuck in traffic and I'm impatient and I want to get to where I'm going, what I'm really doing is I'm longing for a place where I don't have to worry about time anymore. I don't have to worry about getting to the next meeting or the next class because I'm going to be in heaven I'm going to have eternal, you know, I'm going to have all eternity with God. I'm not going to have to worry about that stuff anymore. Yeah. I would, um, a challenge for the audience is think about what problem of evil do I want to solve? Do I want to help fix? Right. And then, so it's God give, and I, that's the first question. What problem of evil, right, is out there in the world? Is it sex trafficking? Is it slavery? Is it uh, abortion? Is it just that my friends don't know Christ and they're going to go to hell? Like, what problem? And those are all consequences of evil, right? Which one do I want to fix inside of that? And the second part is saying, God, give me a heart for what you mourn for, right? What breaks you? Break my heart for what breaks your heart, God. And then you'll watch as He changes your heart to mourn for things 
you're like, maybe it's just poverty in Africa somewhere, or it's something in your own backyard, and it's the homeless people that you see every single day. Because very easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle, all things we have going on, not just in like the Christmas season or these holidays we have going on, but just in life. Because mm-hmm. we are serving here, doing this at church, meeting with these people, doing this service project, working, keeping our relationships, loving our spouses, our kids, whatever we have going on. And all of a sudden we're like, we don't have time to think about it. But it's slowing down and saying, God, what breaks your heart? Break my heart for that. And then dive into that direction. Yeah. Including recognizing the evil in your own life because we all have it. Oh, 100. We have, yeah. we have sin. Yeah. Yeah. And so ask God to break my heart whenever I break yours. I mean, same thing. Um, break my heart over the evil that is taking place in my own life. Yeah, I heard a sermon yesterday on a few part of Ephesians um, over grieving the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in that sense. And, and the pastor had said, hey, close your eyes. So I, we close our eyes and he said, think about the people that you love most, right? So I thought I like my parents and my wife and some of my best friends. And they said, imagine now that they found out that you are a drug addict or an alcoholic. And for me, you know, I've, I struggled with um, bulimia for a while. So I was like, I thought of myself telling my parents to struggle with bulimia or like if I whatever it may be, something deep like that. So close your eyes, think about your best friends. Now think about something that grieves them deeply, right? Now think about that happening, but that Holy, Holy Spirit, when we sin, we do those things, we have addictions, we have things, we are grieving the Holy Spirit, we're mourning the Holy Spirit. Now ask God, that's what your sins do. Now ask God, hey, what are the things in this world that also grieve you that I can part be a solution as a part of? That's good. Yeah, it was good application yesterday in the sermon. I was like, oh man, I moved, right? And I think... When we're mourning, we also have Jesus with this, um, with us in that. In Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, it talks about it. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree, decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, right? To announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance to console all who mourn. Right, and Jesus repeats that in Luke, I think, 4, 18 and 19. Um, when he reads the scroll of Isaiah, he goes to the temple, reads it, shuts it, walks away. He's saying, the day of the Lord is upon me, right? He's the one that comes to comfort those who mourn, to set the captives free. And it's so encouraging, like whatever you're going through, right? If you're actually in a deep state of grief or mourning, God is there with you in that, right? Because we talked about things, but maybe you're not. But if you are in that, not only do you have the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to console you, right? And there's something better for you out there. Yeah, that is uh yeah that was that was a lot. Thanks, bro. He's over awesome. here, he's over here crying. It's really cool. Uh, we do. We are going to wrap it up. We're trying to keep this episode around thirty minutes for you guys. Any final thoughts? I don't know. You got to show a house, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I do got to go to work too. But uh, we we met a good friend before. There, thanks, Rebecca Carroll. She's doing some podcasts. Hoping to have her on sometime soon. What was the name of her podcast? Oh, and Matthew Tingblad. We got to pro- we got to plug him. Rebecca Carroll was um, spiritually thorough. I think he pulled it up. Let's see. Honestly, though. Honestly, though. Check, Honestly, th- though. check it out. She interviews some DTS professors. I think it's, um, I'm a, I can't wait to listen to it. So you don't have to check it out yet. Let's listen to a couple ones. Then Matt Tingblot, we've had on here as well, is doing some awesome apologetic work. Um, there. Real, Real Truth with Matthew Tingblad is his YouTube channel. And we'll post that in there so you guys can go link at it and learn a little bit more about apologetics, how to defend the faith. Absolutely. But uh, stay classy, everyone. Hasta pronto. Have a good one.